I want to talk to you tonight about the source of your confidence and my confidence. The title of the message is The Source of My Confidence. Of course, the reason I put my in there is because I want you to think that way. I want you to apply this to yourself tonight. So we're going to go to Psalms 27, and then next week we're going to pick back up with our study in the Gospel of, of Mark, and I'm looking forward to getting back into that. So you might want to review the first nine chapters, and then we'll just get right back. Just a quick, it won't take you long, Paul's shaking his head, it <laughs> won't take you long to do that. And would you welcome Ken tonight? We're glad to have Ken here with us this evening. God bless you, Ken. Welcome this evening. Well, the first half of this psalm, and we won't read the whole psalm at once, we'll read it during the message. The first half of this psalm, David is just really, he's just brimming over with confidence in God. And this is probably one of the reasons in my young years, this became one of my favorite psalms. And, and I am not teasing you. Every time I come to Psalms 27, as I read my Bible through and I read the book of Psalms through a couple of times a year, I always come to Psalms 27 and I say, thank you, Lord, because this psalm for me taught me really how to pray with confidence when you're facing a battle. Because the second half of the psalm, David is really seeking God's face in the presence of his enemies. So confidence is one thing to have when everything is going good in life. Confidence is another thing to have when there's battles in life. Courage is a wonderful thing. Courage is, a, is an admirable thing. As a matter of fact, the Bible says there won't be any cowards in heaven. The cowardly will not be there. So courage is something that's admirable and wonderful. But Christian courage, according to a, an author I heard speaking, I haven't read his book, but he's just written a book entitled Courage. And I apologize, I can't remember his name, but if you, you want to look it up, you can find it. He said Christian courage is the courage that's demonstrated by our faith in Christ when we're facing the possibility of death, when we're facing the possibility of ruin, when we're facing persecution, a courage that will not allow us to deny our faith in Christ. And so courage is something we admire, but where does that confidence and that courage come from? And I think Psalms 27 has a lot to say to that tonight. So let's begin this evening and We'll start by reading the first five verses this evening. And I've got to wear my glasses because I forgot to enlarge the print here tonight. <laughs> the Lord is my, read it with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? Now stop. Ask yourself about any problems or any challenges you face. Why should I be afraid? Let's keep reading. The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. Say it again. I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections, meditating in his temple, for he will conceal me there when trouble comes. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. And I just know that when you're attacked or when you're facing trouble, your thoughts are like David's, oh, that I could be at Woodland Church just <laughs> meditating upon the Lord. And yet when he's being attacked and he's in this battle, he's going, the one thing I desire is to be able to live and to dwell in the house of the Lord. This is not talking about heaven. 
A lot of the Psalms, when David talks like this, he's talking about his home in heaven. But he's literally talking about being in the tabernacle. Remember, the temple had not been built yet. And the tabernacle by this time was an old tent that housed the Ark of the Covenant. And David was saying, oh, that I could just be in that tent. It's not the beauty of the edifice. It's not the beauty of the, of the building. It's the presence of the Lord. And that's what the Ark of the Covenant represented to David and to Israel at that time. Well, let's look at the source of his confidence. Number one, I'm confident because the Lord is my light. The Lord is my light. Now, when you read that, you might think, well, how does that give me confidence? Well, for several reasons. Once you have Christ living in your heart, and once you begin to understand his word, your problems are never what they seem to be in light of God's words. Whatever challenges you face, whatever problems you face, whatever attacks that come in your life, they're not what they seem on the surface, and the Lord is our light. Let's look at a couple of verses of scripture here. Speaking of the Lord, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 16, Paul says, He alone can never die, and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. Now, imagine light that is more brilliant than the sun. Imagine light that nothing could survive in it. When Becky and I had COVID just recently, I was checking up on some things, and we opened our windows, and we wanted to get as much sunshine in the house because one of the things we learned is that the COVID virus cannot live in sunlight. The sunlight just absolutely destroys it and kills it. And so we wanted to get as much sunlight in the house as possible. And so the Lord lives in this brilliant light that no human can approach. And then in 1 John chapter 1, the, the Apostle John writes, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And in verse 9, the one who's true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. What you and I know, nothing will ever defeat the Lord, and nothing will ever defeat God's plans for you and I. He is committed, as I've been saying for the last two weeks, God is committed to making you like Jesus Christ. He is committed to making you more like him daily. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18 says it's happening degree by degree or little by little. And God who is light, this, to, to the Old Testament saints, this represented purity, Light represented joy. Light represented understanding. So if you take those three concepts of purity as, as the sun would kill the virus, the COVID virus, the light meant purity. They knew there was something healthy and healing about the light. And we know that sin cannot dwell in the presence of God. Sinful people cannot come into the presence of God. It's why we come through the blood of Jesus Christ. It washes away all of our sins. And Jesus described himself as the light of the world. And I, again, today when I was just meditating and thinking as I was driving about the message tonight, I was thinking about songs we used to sing with our youth group, Light of the World, and kids would just lift their hands and worship. And we sing songs here about Jesus being the light. And what we're saying is, is that there is pure joy in Christ, but there is also understanding. And so light would also mean to David victory because his enemies could not stand before the light and probably the worst battle that David ever faced was when his son Absalom rebelled against him remember that story and he had to leave Jerusalem and yet still the Lord his light his salvation as he describes him in verse 1 of this psalm David prevailed even though it was a heavy cost to him at the cost of his own son 
So let's apply this to ourselves tonight. Number one, some of my troubles in life are manageable. Some of my troubles in life are manageable. There are some computer problems that they happen. I'm not going to call Paul Gorky. I can handle it. <laughs> there are some building problems that, are hap that happen. I'm not going to call Bob Saunders. I can handle it. Some of my troubles are manageable. Some of the troubles that come up in my life, I go, Becky, and I call for her help immediately. But you, all of us, we know what it is to have troubles and problems that come up that we can manage. Psalms 23 and verse 4 even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Circle that, that word valley. Circle the word valley. David is saying that death is like the shadow of a valley. It's like the shadow. A shadow can't harm me. My sister called me last night from Florida. And you know, they just had that hurricane come through and there's it stirred up all kinds of creatures that you don't normally see. The alligators are moving, the bears are moving, but the water moccasins are moving. And my niece saw a huge water moccasin, looked like a small log on the, on the road and so in, in their subdivision. And so she ran over it with her van hoping to kill it. A water moccasin is an aggressive snake. If you're not familiar with them, they will literally chase you. And so she ran over it and the snake, it just the van bounced over it and the snake ran into her neighbor's flower bed so they uh she went to her neighbor and her neighbor was too scared to to deal with the snake and kim said to me she said he's a sissy man you know he just didn't want to deal with it so they called another country boy they know and he came down and of course took care of business now that was a real threat because they all have small children that was a real threat but what david is saying here that death is just a shadow that snake, if it was in Florida, it's just a shadow to you and me. We don't worry about snakes here in Michigan, do we? But if we're in Florida, then suddenly that becomes a real threat for us after a hurricane. And I probably shouldn't have said what she said. He was a sissy man, but every good Southern man will go out and kill a snake when a lady asks him to. But what you need to understand is all of us will go through valleys and there are shadows. And when you go through those shadows... Those troubles are manageable because Christ is with us. Underline that. You are with me and your rod and staff, they cover me. Second thing about some of my troubles, according to what I read in this psalm, some of my troubles turn into blessings. Some of my troubles turn into blessings. Most historians and most authors who write biographies are agreed on this one fact that the men and women that we write about and the men and women that we studied, they have overcome some sort of adversity in their life that has been threatening to them. We talk about those people. We admire those people. We're encouraged by their stories. We're encouraged by how. We want to learn the lessons that they learn. We, we want to go to school on those lessons. So maybe we don't repeat those lessons in life. In Psalms chapter 119 and verse 71, read this out loud with me tonight. My troubles turned out for the best. They forced me to learn from your textbook. Again, David is saying what Paul will say later in the book of Romans, 
that God works in everything. God's not the cause of everything. God's not the source of everything. But God works in everything for the good of those who love him and for his glory and honor. Can you say amen to that? So my troubles turn out for best. But what do they do? They force me to go not to the biography of a great man or to the history book of the Revolutionary War. It forces me to go to the Bible and see what God says. And that's why Psalm 27 is so very important to us. But then some of my troubles require God's protection. Some of the troubles that come in our life, they're demonic in form. Some of the troubles that come in our life, they're literal physical attacks on our life. Some of the troubles that come in our life may be disease. Some of the troubles that come into our life, they may be war or famine or storms that happen in our lives. And how many times we've heard the stories of people that God protected, <coughs> pardon me, in a storm or in a hurricane. How many times we heard the people that God protected when there were communist agents trying to find Christians. And we just heard a story of a, of a pastor last week who, who escaped Putin. Putin has a, a bounty out on his head because this evangelical pastor, pastor of the largest evangelical church in Russia, spoke out against the war and the murder of Ukrainian civilians, and he had to be smuggled out of the country and protected, and there's a bounty on his head now. Some of my troubles really do require God's protection on my life. And so David says in Psalms 27, we'll look at four verses here, the Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Circle that phrase, why should I tremble? When you tremble, ask yourself why. And all of us from time to time will tremble, but ask yourself, is my confidence in the Lord or is the, my confidence in my doctor? Is my confidence in my 401k? Is my confidence in, in the home that I'm in in the storm? Is my confidence in the government? Why should I tremble if the Lord is my fortress? Then David prays this, and there's nothing wrong with praying this. Don't abandon me, O God, of my salvation. I mean, there's this sense of times I've like, oh, God, don't give up on me. God, don't let go of me. Then he prays, lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. In other words, <clears throat> God knows a way through. God knows a way around. God knows a way above. God knows a way beneath. So David is saying, Lord, lead me in the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. By contrast, if you think antithesis and thesis here, He's saying that the enemy is following the wrong path. So you want to stay off that path and follow the path that God has for you so that we don't fall into their hands. Secondly, tonight, the Lord is my salvation. Oh, I could spend the rest of the sermon tonight on this, but I've got two other points to go, so I'll keep moving. The Lord is my salvation. The greatest deliverance I have, the greatest deliverance you have is salvation from sin. Somebody recently asked me if I would share my story with them, and, 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 and I said, you know, I will if you agree to fast and pray with me for two weeks. And that's always been my answer to people who have asked me to come and share my story. Because, number one, my greatest, my greatest miracle was not my physical healing from being crippled. My greatest miracle was not the inner healing that God did in my life in my early 20s. My greatest miracle is that God saved me from my sins. That's a, my greatest miracle is that God saved my parents and delivered them from sin. Does that make sense? 
And so when we say the Lord is my salvation, we're not just being tried here. David understood those sacrifices that were taking place at the tabernacle, what they were for. They were for his sins. They were for your sins. They were for my sins. They were for the nation's sins. So when he says the Lord is my salvation, he says this in verse 8. The Lord gives his people strength, and he is a safe fortress for his anointed king. How many of you know that you are prophets, priests, and kings in the presence of the Lord tonight? You are God's chosen. You are God's anointed, the scripture says. The third thing I want you to see is that the Lord is our fortress. And you said, well, didn't you just mention that? Well, it's a little more to it than that. My son <clears throat> is in the army. And um, I just recently asked him about a news report that I heard over a hundred Chinese spies last year were able to get onto military bases. Something's not very secure. Something's had a breakdown there. And so the Congress and the, the, um, and the Department of Defense, they have authorized a study. Why are these spies so easily able to get onto our military bases. You and I, when we go on the base, we've got to show identification. We've got to be able to prove that who we are when we go onto the base. It's not like it used to be. When I was a teenager, I could drive onto the Air Force base anytime I wanted, but now there's security you have to go through and sophisticated ways of stopping people. But anyway, a hundred spies, and I guess that's why they're spies, they're good, they got onto our military bases last year. But when God is your fortress, there is no way that the enemy can scale the walls. There's no way the enemy can come under the wall. There's no way the enemy can get to you unless you open the door for him. And that is critical to remember. They say the only reason that the Great Wall of China was ever breached is because they were able to bribe guards or bribe... There we go. So what David is saying here, and this is huge, David is saying... When he thinks about the Lord as being his fortress, he's thinking about not just living with God's protection, he's thinking about living in God. It's the forerunner of what we call life in the Spirit in the New Testament. The Old Testament saints didn't know what we get to experience because of Pentecost and because of what Jesus did at Calvary, and Pentecost would have never been possible without Calvary and the resurrection. But you're getting a foretaste of this. He says in Proverbs 8, well, he doesn't, uh, Solomon does. In Proverbs 18, in verse 10, he says, The name of the Lord is a strong fortress, and the godly run to him and are safe. That's why you'll hear me say sometime, <clears throat> if you sin, don't run from Jesus, run to Jesus. Don't run from the cross, run to the cross. And the reason he says this is because, number one, light is spiritual understanding. The Lord is my light. He understands what God means to him. He understands what this relationship. David is, it's amazing to me, the longer I live, is that David has this intimacy with the Lord that you don't see throughout all of the Old Testament. But there's this intimacy with God that foreshadows, I believe, the life that we get to live. Secondly, he's saying the greatest deliverance of his life is salvation. Salvation is our greatest deliverance. And then thirdly, he's saying that a fortress is our refuge from the troubles of life. There used to be an old spiritual that was saying, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. I don't know if you've ever heard that. If you hear someone sing that right with that mournful sound, um, 
Tim Keller. I don't know if you know who Tim Keller was. He's pastor in New York City. When Tim and Kathy Keller got married, um, they had a beautiful love song played at the at the beginning of the of the marriage ceremony. And then as they were walking out, they played "Nobody Knows the Troubles I've Seen." And you know, it was meant as a joke about all the problems and things that we will face as married couples. And he writes about that in his book on marriage. Anyway. God is our refuge. Look at what John Stite said. He said, the Lord is my light to guide me, my salvation to deliver me, and the stronghold of my life in whom I take refuge. Circle that phrase right there, the stronghold of my life. And this is from Stott's book, my favorite Psalms. The stronghold. I pray tonight that you will meditate upon this, that God is the stronghold of our life. When we say fortress and we say that Lord is our stronghold, I want to go back to David's loving to dwell and saying, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to be. Remember, I ask you, do you, is that what you say when you're in trouble, when you're facing problems? I want to be at Woodland. And yet there's something, don't you? I think you'll agree with me. There's something powerful when we gather on Sunday mornings and we sing and worship the Lord together. There's something powerful when we gather and we pray together and we pray for one another. There's something powerful when we worship the Lord and the giving of our offerings and we realize that we're bringing back to God what God literally has blessed us with, that we have what we have. We recognize it comes from the hands of God. And maybe many people don't recognize that, but in recognizing that God entrusts to us more of his presence, we, we gather not around a speech but we gather around what I prayerfully and, and what our guests, hopefully Raymond Marshall, and I'm confident he will, we share from the word of God what God is going to say to us through his word. And we look at how to apply that. There's something, and I don't want to say salvific, but there's something holy and life-giving and encouraging and building up. It's why the apostle would say, Gather even more often together for worship as you see that day approaching. It's what David felt in the midst of being attacked. I want to be in the house of the Lord. I loved what Pastor Corey said when he came back home this year. He says, you know, we visited a number of churches on our trip, but there's no place like Woodland. And how many times Becky and I have said that same thing when we gather back here there's something life-giving about being a church. Let me read to you something that a, that a Puritan preacher by the name of Richard Sibbs, S-I-B-B-E-S. -B -B -E I didn't put this in your outline, but I think it is so true. He said this, particularly visible churches under visible pastors now are God's tabernacle. He's not saying like some people do who pray to a statue or pray to an icon. He's not saying that. He's saying that we together are the temple of the Lord. My body is a temple, your body is a temple, but we together are the temple of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So it's hugely important. And then let's close with this tonight, the prayer of confidence. The prayer of confidence. This is where our confidence comes from. And I'm reading from 7 and uh, 9, and then I'll read verse 10 separately, because verse 10, it's a part of this prayer, but it's just, it stands out. Hear me as I pray, O Lord, be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come, talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Do not turn your back on me. 
Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Now, hard stop before we read verse 10. David is not necessarily confessing sin here. But this is a serious attack on his life. This is a serious attack on his kingdom. And he's searching his heart. We used to sing a song called, Search me, O Lord, and know my heart, I pray. We, 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 that comes from the Psalms. We want God to search us because we want, as the old hymn says, nothing between my soul and the Savior. And it doesn't mean we live paranoid lives. It doesn't mean that we live staring at our belly buttons. But we want to have a pure heart before the Lord. But David says something here that I think reflects some childhood pain. And I'm going to justify that statement. And you can agree or disagree, but I'm still right. Okay, look at this. He says, do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant. You've always been my helper. Remember how Jesse would not call his son in? He had, he had Samuel look at all of his other boys and when they finally ask, when Samuel, is there no other? He goes, yeah, but he's just a runt of a kid. He's out there. I mean, I, I know so many people that have told me stories of how their families rejected them. Their parents rejected them. They felt rejected in school. I, I know so many people who suffer from feelings of inferiority and rejection. And sometimes when a, a battle comes or when the, it gets intense, those those feelings, especially stem from child, they, they bubble back up and the enemy has a way of trying to stir that, those, those old feelings that you thought were all done and gone away with, they come back. And that story, over 50 years of ministry, I've heard it over and over and over again. And I think what you're hearing here is something that David must have felt because verse 10 is so jarring. I know all of you in here. I've just met Ken Sunday, and Ken, again, I'm glad to hear. But I know all of you in here. I know that this is not true of any of you. David says, look at verse 10, even if my mother and father abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Why is he saying that? Because he's experienced that, I think, somewhere in his life where he felt abandoned. Remember how he was welcomed by Saul? Then he was rejected by Saul. Remember how he was loved by his wife, Michael, then he was rejected by his wife, Michael. So here's a man who knew what it meant to experience feelings of rejection. God gives four things to us that children expect from loving parents. God gives four things to us that children expect from loving parents. Number one, God gives us acceptance. God accepts me. Verse nine, don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God, of my salvation. God listens to me. Children need to be listened to. They need to be heard. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 7, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. When we were, when our kids were younger and we were traveling and even when we moved here, Becky had taught our kids, if you ever need our attention, don't interrupt adults when they're talking, but just lay your hand on our shoulder or lay your hand on our hip or something. And, and when we can break, we'll talk. If it's an emergency, pat our shoulder. You know, that, that way we know it's an emergency. And I can't tell you how many times I could feel that hand on my shoulder. Or sometimes I'd feel a, a pat there. But we wanted them to know they would be listened to. And even to this day, I've told them, if you call me anytime, 
during office hours, if you call me anytime during the day, I'm going to take your call. So, you know, feel free to call if it's an emergency or if it's important, because if I'm in a board meeting, if whatever meeting, I'm going to stop it to take your call. I've slipped out of presbyters meetings. I've slipped out of, of, of DDA meetings just because one of my, and it's always been important. People need to be listened to, and God hears you when you pray. And he says, if it's important, just keep on knocking, keep on. And Becky was so smart for doing that. Third, God leads me. As a parent, it's our responsibility to lead our children, to protect our children. So David prays in the latter part of this psalm in verse 11. He says, teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me on the right path for my enemies are waiting for me. What parent doesn't want to hear their child say, teach me how to live? What dad doesn't want to hear his son say, Dad, teach me how you do what you do. It's what the disciples said to Jesus when he says, teach us how to pray like you pray. Lord, increase our faith. It's an amazing thing. God listens, God teaches, God guides, and then God protects. And what parent doesn't protect their child? Back to my niece. Jennifer is a wisp of a thing. You just have to, I mean, she is a tiny, tiny little thing. And she jumped out, ran to the door of the house, expecting the man of the house to come do what he was supposed to do. Had to kill that water moccasin. Uncle Dennis, he's all curled up with his head. She's, he's dangerous. What do you do? I called a good old country boy in the subdivision. He came down there and he took care of business. Kids need to know their parents will take care of business for them. Can you say amen to that? And I want you to know God will take care of business. He has already defeated the devil. He has already crushed the devil. Somebody say, come on, victory tonight. I've got to finish up here. So let's just apply two verses of scripture quickly and we'll pray. Psalm verse, in verse 7, he says, Lord, hear me as I pray. Be merciful and answer me. Never be afraid to say to God, listen to me. Never be afraid to ask for mercy. And then he closes this, and I love this. This is the source of my confidence. This is the source of your confidence. I am confident. I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Remember what I said? He wasn't talking about the tabernacle in heaven. He's talking about life now. There was a preacher that used to say, I'm not looking for pie in the sweet by and by. I want pie in the nasty now and now. God is here with you and me tonight. I'm confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. So wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous, Christian courage. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Father, I thank you that there is strength for waiting. I thank you that there is confidence that comes from a relationship with you. And I thank you for your word tonight that shows us the source of our confidence is not our knowledge, it's not our strength, it's not even the church, Lord. It's in Christ who lives within us. For it's in your name I pray tonight. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us this evening.